Good morning, everyone. On the line with me is congressional candidate Mary Peltola. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Now, Mary, before we talk about a recent poll conducted on voters for this year's race, I had saw that many in the poll had not heard of you. Why don't you take a moment to share a bit about yourself and your experience? Absolutely. Thank you so much. I am from Bethel originally and um, represented Bethel. And at first, Dillingham, it was it was a house district that was made up of Bethel and Dillingham. And I represented um, that district for four years between 1998 and 2002. And then after reapportionment, it was just Bethel and Kuskokwim area villages. And so I served in that capacity for 10 years. So and the legislature? I, yeah, the state house. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, in yeah, a state representative and worked really well with uh, Juno legislators as well as off-road system legislators. Um, we called ourselves the Bush Caucus. So folks like Bill Williams and Albert Kukesh and um, Bill Thomas and, you know, a lot of Southeast names. Um, so that is a little bit of my background. I worked for the Dahlman Gold Project for six years, um, which is a Kuskokwim River area project. And the last five years, I've been working for the Kuskokwim River Intertribal Fish Commission. We're working on rebuilding salmon stocks on the Kuskokwim River and trying to um, help with our abundance issues um, on, on the western side of Alaska. So I am pro-jobs. I believe in rural development on rural Alaska's terms. Um, I am pro-family. I believe we really need to work on housing issues and reducing the cost of rent. Um, I will work to defend the Affordable Care Act and Medicaid expansion. I believe in investing in, in schools and supporting teachers to reduce burnout. I'm very pro-fish. Like I said, I've been working in that field for the last five years. Um, climate change is real, and we need to respond to that. I mean, we've been in these declined um, stocks on the west coast of Alaska for 13 years, and we really don't have any more time to, to, to waste in terms of enacting precautionary management. Um, I'm also very pro-choice. I believe in defending Alaska's constitutional right to privacy. I believe in um, women's reproductive rights. And um, so I will unequivocally, unequivocally stand up for a woman's right to make decisions about her body. That's a little bit about me. Yeah, so let's go ahead and go through some of those some of those issues. Let's start with uh, pro-choice. I wanted to know your reaction to when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. It sounds like you're already a strong pro-choice advocate. I, I am a, a strong pro-choice advocate, and it does concern me that my daughter, who's 14, will have less rights than my grandmother had. Um, that's I, I don't think we should be going back in terms of protecting freedoms. I think Alaskans believe in um, that kind of libertarian, free, that spirit of, you know, um, stay out of my personal business. And I think this is especially true when it comes to health decisions and a, uh, and a woman's body. And, you know, part of my um, feeling about this um, is so strong because Minority groups across uh, across the nation and, and in Alaska, it, it's been Alaska Natives who have had experiences um, in their families with 
forced sterilization or women being sterilized without their knowledge, let alone without their consent. So reproductive rights are, are really um, inherent to a person's, um, you know, just their future. And, and I just really couldn't be more strong about feeling that um, reproductive rights and a person's body and their health is, should really be their decision with their doctor. And I had saw you had attended a reproductive rights rally over the weekend. Mm-hmm. We sure did. Um, on the Park Strip in Anchorage, there was a, a rally um, really voicing um, Alaskans' concern about this really big change in American policy. And since, as we understand it, it'll this issue will now be to the states, right? So, yeah, the, they're punting to the states, and we've seen a lot of states in the South um, double down on this. And you know, I, I I do have concerns with vigilante justice being imposed and individuals um, becoming part of law enforcement, uh, that, that's also a, a grave concern of mine. And I certainly don't want to see that trend um, coming to Alaska. And, and so I had saw on your website that rural public safety is another one of your key issues. And mm-hmm. you had said that there's a crisis. So why is that? Well, one of the, some of the budget committee, the three budget subcommittees that I worked on had a lot to do with public safety. So I was on courts, corrections, and public safety budget subcommittees. And, and these are really critical. And throughout Alaska, we do have a major shortage of public safety, um, both police officers, village public police officers, and um, troopers in our state. And we, we just have such an enormous footprint. We have so many communities. Most of our rural communities don't have jails. Um, there is no law enforcement. <clears throat> so uh, this is a big concern of mine. Um, <clears throat> I know Attorney General Barr did make a huge um, financial investment in Alaska, and then that was all um, zeroed out. Or, you know, And so it was just backfilling money, and, and so it was a zero sum in the end. So uh, I just believe that we have to make bigger investments in our public safety. We have to, um, and and, and public safety isn't any different than any other um, field or sector of employment. We are really short on human resources. We're very short on young people going into uh, the public safety field, um, into law enforcement, and we you know, it's just one of the many, many things that we need to commit to working on in Alaska. And what did you think of the recent investments towards MMIW or murdered missing indigenous women? Yeah, and I think that's now being called murdered and missing indigenous people. Mm. And this has certainly been an issue that that has been recognized among Alaska Native families for many years. And I'm very pleased that it is getting the attention that, that it's getting now, um, a lot of times it, it is hard for families to get law enforcement to take seriously um, missing women until too much time has, has elapsed. Um, and 
there are many, many cases of murdered Indigenous people who those cases are not investigated properly and they're not prosecuted properly. And so, Mary, on another topic, the state received large funding from the bipartisan infrastructure bill. How do you see this impacting the state's economy? Well, I think it's very good for working families. I hope that we can space out these projects so we're not overstimulating. Um, I think it's really important to stretch these projects out um, for year-over-year investments. Um, I, I personally, you know, I'm very concerned about the inflation issue. I don't necessarily believe that it is entirely because of the investments that have been made across the nation. I think it has a lot more to do with supply chain and logistics issues. We just don't have the, the products that people are looking for and the raw materials. And it's more of a supply issue um, in America that I think is driving up in inflation. And, and we've got to work on those things um, and I, I do not think that it is necessarily entirely on um, making big investments and helping people financially. And I wanted to take up a point you had mentioned earlier. This was about uh, this was about housing. The Southeast Conference's Southeast Business Climate Survey came out, and businesses had said that the availability and affordability of housing was their primary concern to economic growth in Southeast. Is this an issue you've been seeing elsewhere? Absolutely, absolutely. Affordability is one thing, but availability, I think, is a bigger issue. We have Across Alaska, multiple families living in in single-family residences, um, especially, you know, in in the hinterlands, in in small communities, there just isn't the housing that we really need for families. And and I think a lot of young families especially feel this. Um, And and I think that that also plays into um, school performance. I think it plays into... um, safety issues. And as a mom, I just have always felt that my number one job is to make sure that my kids have a safe home, uh, a healthy home, uh, and a loving home. And and it, and it, it, we just have to make sure that um, parents are able to, to find housing so that they can find safe, peaceful, and loving homes for their kids. And, and you know, Mary, right next to housing on that survey was child care. The, mm-hmm. A lot of the businesses, their workers, said they needed child care. Is that something you're also hearing? Child care, I think, is a crisis. Uh, you know, or or um, I, I, I I hate to use the word crisis because I think that's an overword you uh, over overused word. But I definitely think that it is a serious problem, and it's been a serious problem for decades now. And as a mom of four and a stepmom of three. Um, I can speak, you know, ad nauseum about my personal experiences um, finding childcare, and um, certainly when you get into multiple children, it is it doesn't pencil out for um, both parents to be working. It it really. 
starts getting into a situation where only one parent is able to be part of the workforce. And this is um, a huge issue for our, our workforce is where if we can't find solutions to childcare, we're eliminating half of our workforce. And what solutions do you see out there to address the child care issue? Well, I, I do. I am optimistic about more um, pre-kindergarten programs, even if those are half days. I think that's a, a move in the right direction. I think that um, preschool is important for the child, and it's, it's an important element for parents <clears throat> to get back into the workforce. Excuse me, just a second. Sorry about that. Um, but I, um, I, so I think that um, helping with childcare, and, and I and I do think there is room to subsidize childcare. Childcare is an enormous cost for most families, and again, if you have more than one child, you're you're looking at um, more than your mortgage for for covering that, and and especially for infants. Um, and, and up until I think one, one or 18 months, um, there is an uh, uh, appropriately um, a, a higher need for an adult to, to ch- baby ratio. Mm-hmm. So we need we need to have childcare that um, pencils out for the childcare workers as well. For 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 most people in the childcare profession, it's a very um, low earning job, and it's very. Um, um, I'm trying to think of the word. It, um, it's a challenging job. It's it's very hands-on. It's very demanding, um, and it's it's one of those critical needs. Um, so, and I'm really proud that one of the things that I worked on, <clears throat> excuse me, while I was in the legislature with Lisa McGuire and Gretchen Guess was um, having access for staff and legislators to have a childcare facility near the, the Capitol building. And this, this wasn't in any way subsidized. We were happy to pay full price, top dollar. We just needed childcare. And I think that's what a lot of uh, working parents find is um, e- even if you are paying the full rate, um, that's a critical need in order to be able to show up at work. Mm-hmm. And, and so there was... One more uh, topic I wanted to take up with you, Mary, regarding your uh-huh. your your stances. We wanted to know your thoughts on land management in Alaska, given your experience working in natural resources. Mm, could could you be a little bit more specific, please? So, for resource management, you had called out bycatch as an issue impacting fisheries mm-hmm. in Alaska, as an example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bycatch is a huge issue. And I'm not talking about Alaskan fishermen on small boats. What I'm talking about here is industrial fishing. We're talking about metric tons of juvenile salmon, juvenile crab, juvenile halibut. Um, and and that really is a huge concern. And And what I've heard some of the messaging from Department of Fish and Game saying is we shouldn't be concerned about those juvenile salmon and crab and halibut because they would die eventually. Even if they did make it back to their headwaters, they would die. Well, that's silly. That's like saying 
murder shouldn't be a crime because everybody dies eventually. Um, certainly, we we have to be worried about industrial fishing from you know, lower 48 businesses coming in and literally wasting metric tons of juvenile salmon, halibut, and crab. And I thought the salmon folks had it had it bad. As it turns out, halibut and crab fishermen have it even worse than salmon fishermen. And I, I do not think that they are the sole culprit for our drastic declines the last 13 years. But at this point, every fish counts. And if people on the Yukon aren't allowed to fish for one salmon all summer when they have depended on this resource for 12,000 years, meantime, in the Bering Sea, metric tons are being thrown overboard. There's something amiss here. Something isn't adding up. And we've got to, we, we, for 13 years, we've been in this low ocean productivity paradigm. We can't afford to wait until we have all of the research and answers back before we start implementing precautionary management. We've got to start implementing precautionary management now. Very good. Well, Mary, we'll take up the results of that recent poll right after the break. So stay tuned. And we're back with congressional candidate Mary Peltola. Now, A recent poll conducted by Alaska Survey Research shows you in the lead for the first round of voting in the ranked choice system in both the special and general election. What do you think that means for your race, your campaign? Well, Kevin, I'm really heartened by this poll. It shows that I have the most room to grow, and it shows that I have the lowest name recognition and the highest positives um, and the lowest negatives. So there's still a lot of campaigning left to do in this race. Um, There's, of course, the election on August 16th and then the election on November 8th. And um, I'm really looking forward to the November 8th election. I think all of us candidates are really in this race for the two-year seat, and we've all got our eyes on that prize. Um, I was very happy with the outcome of the primary of the four-month seat. Um, I was able to um, get myself in the top four out of the out of a field of 48 people, which is a, a tall order. Um, we had a very tight budget. I was outraised 10 to 1. Um, I've got um, two opponents right now who are millionaires and um, I'm assuming in the in the two-year race, I'll have three opponents who are millionaires. Um, so w- right now, what my team and I are focusing on is um, making sure that we are um, raising as much money as we possibly can. I'm really proud of the fact that I don't have any special interest money in my campaign. There's no dark money. It's all regular Alaskans contributing um, a lot of small donations and, and a lot of bigger donations, but um, um, we are um, excited about the support that's coming in, the money that's coming in. Um, the, 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 most of the opponents that I faced in the field of 48 have withdrawn. All the Democrats have withdrawn and given me their support, as has Santa Claus and moderates like Jeff Lowenfeld's. So I am very optimistic about the next iterations of this race. And you'd mentioned you you pretty much had survived the 48 candidates. Uh, 
you've mm-hmm. gone through some of this ranked choice system so far. What, what do you make of it? This is the first time. Well, I'm keeping an open mind, um, I, and I am optimistic about um, what ranked choice voting can do for Alaska. I hope that it um, makes it easier for moderate candidates like myself to get elected. I think that the primary system that we had before really was an agent of furthering that really divisiveness that we have seen in our state and in our country. And we all know that divisiveness at the end of the day doesn't help us overcome our challenges. We really can only work through our challenges if we're working together and um, and not tearing each other down. So my hope is that through ranked choice voting, um, elections are not as um, nasty as we tend to see them in America, and that there there is more civility and respectfulness in, in elections, and the outcome of the election are more civil and respectful elected folks. Very good. Mary, since you were in the legislature, I'll put this in this way. In wrap-up, what do you have to say, Mary? I'm looking forward to this race. I'm, I'm proud of my, my long record of public service. I'm proud of uh, my reputation for being about good public policy. I think that that's the most important thing in our elected officials is not, a, you know, to be a celebrity or um, just focus on the business sector. I think that we need to have people who really have a commitment to Alaska and um, a commitment to public service and a commitment to good public policy. And, and I am optimistic about um, the November election. I don't, I, I am making sure that people know that if, if the special election, if that four month seat um, doesn't um, work out in my favor, that's, that's just fine because we're all in it for the two year seat and progressives t- typically turn out more in the November race. So um, I'm really focused on that November race and um, excited to, to keep campaigning and keep meeting Alaskans that I haven't met yet. Your candidate for Congress, Mary Peltola. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Kevin. And that's the program. Join us tomorrow as we speak with the Department of Labor. So be sure to tune in. This is Kevin Allen for Action Line, signing off.